I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, open it to First Chronicles chapter 22. First Chronicles chapter 22 this morning. King David, of course, was a pivotal person in the history of ancient Israel. He was a man of passion and power, loyalty and integrity, bright victories and bitter failures. And across 3,000 years of history, he reminds us of the legacy that one individual can leave by both how we live and how we give. This morning, of course, uh, before we go any further, allow me to define the word legacy. We use it a lot in our culture. Sometimes we use it too much. What is a legacy? Well, I'm going to give you a Christian definition of it. You won't find this definition in a Webster's Dictionary. But a Christian definition of a legacy is this. Legacy is the godly influence you leave on those who come behind you. Legacy is the godly influence you leave on those who come behind you. So with that in mind, this morning we're going to answer the question, what are the characteristics of a legacy of generosity? What are the characteristics of a legacy of generosity? I appreciate you guys praying for me last week. I was not quite up to snuff. And, you know, I'd had that little incident in that restaurant last Friday, a week ago Friday. And it was an embarrassing moment in my life. It was a difficult moment in my life. Uh, But I must say, the people at the restaurant were very kind, very generous, very good to me. So I walked out the door. They gave me ten coupons, all to other restaurants. (laughs) But I'll use them. I don't hold that against them. I'll use them. Today, of course, King David will be our example of leaving legacy of generosity. Now, I preached on the life of David back in 2016, and it was the longest sermon series I've ever preached, and some of you, I'm sure, are still swooning from that. It was 20 sermons, and it was entitled, A Heart Like God's, The Life of David. Through that series, of course, we found that David was a a great man, but he was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect man. And that sometimes amazes us that God can use imperfect people. Well, I would ask you the question, what other kind of people does he have? The only kind of people God's got are imperfect people. And so he has to use imperfect people because that's all he's got. That being the case, let's think about how David was imperfect. There was that great moral mistake of his life. Adultery with Bathsheba. And then in order to try to cover that up, He orchestrated the military murder of her husband, Uriah. That alone would would earn him a place among some of the scoundrels of the world. And yet there was more. He had family failures in his life. You recall that there were times in his life when he should have taken action and he did not. Such as when his son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. And David did nothing about it. Or when his son Absalom led a rebellion against him that ultimately ended up in Absalom's death. And then there, of course, was the pride factor in David's life. There was a problem with pride. When in his arrogance he numbered his troops so that he might boast of his military power. But other than those isolated indiscretions, David was indeed a man of godly loyalty who left a legacy of generosity. And one of the reasons he did that is because when he sinned, he also repented. We've got too much in our generation of people who sin and say, yeah, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that, but I ain't going to change. I hope God will forgive me, but I'm going to do it again. We've got too much of that. David was a man who repented. How do we know that? Because there was never another Bathsheba in his life. 
That's how we know that. David was a man who repented of his sin, and that's one of the reasons that he can be called a man after God's own heart. And consequently, David is a man who leaves a legacy of generosity. And perhaps the fact that God used an imperfect man to leave a legacy of generosity will be an encouragement for all of us imperfect men and women that we can also leave such a legacy in our own lives. God can use us too, as imperfect as we are. So let's spend some time this morning looking at six characteristics of those who leave legacies of generosity. First, number one, those with a legacy of generosity have a burden for the things of God. Those with a legacy of generosity have a burden for the things of God. Building in the church ought to always begin with a burden. The church is not like the government. The government can afford to throw money all over the place because it's not their money. It's our money. But they can afford to throw money around and whether there's a need or not, they can spend money. We can't raise taxes like the government can in order to pay for our needs, we have to ask our people to give sacrificially so that we might be able to build that which we believe God wants us to build. Notice where David's desire to build God's temple came from. In First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his palace that he said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord still dwells in tents. I think it's interesting that we're told this took place in a conversation that David was having with Nathan the prophet. Remember Nathan the prophet? Nathan the prophet is the one who told David in the aftermath of the Bathsheba incident, You are the man who sinned. That's a hard thing to say to a king, folks. The king held your life in his hands. So it had to come with great conviction. I want you to notice that David dealt with Nathan. David took his blows, if you will, took his licks. He repents of his sin, and it doesn't destroy the friendship between David and Nathan. For here's Nathan again involved in David's life. That's one of the actions that we take when we repent. When we repent, it's not going to destroy friendships. Because what we end up doing, of course, is doing what God wants us to do. It says, the ark of the covenant of the Lord still dwells in tents. Why was David burdened about the tabernacle? This tent of meeting was now somewhere between 250 and 400 years old, depending on how you date the Exodus. This was the place where the ark of the covenant was kept, and the presence of God dwelt there. But it was pretty ragged and threadbare by David's day. For some of that tabernacle was built of materials that would indeed deteriorate. The second reason for David's burden was that the tent of meeting was fine as long as Israel was a nomadic people. But some time ago, Israel had entered the promised land. They had built themselves permanent houses, and David just believed that God deserved a permanent house too. We've got a need in our church, for which I hope you're becoming increasingly burdened. We want our student and young adult ministries to continue to thrive, and if we do so, if that's going to happen, we'll have to provide both adequate and relevant space for them. Our answer to that need, of course, as we've talked before, is a brand new student young adult building. The new building, as you can see from the picture here, uh, has been drawn out by an architect in the next picture. And in that next picture, you can see the various spaces of that building. And hopefully you'll have a chance today to walk around that building and to take a good hard look at it. This new building, of course, is going to cost about $2.1 million. The generations following faith-raising campaign that we're presently in is designed to grow us as a church financially, numerically, and spiritually so that we might meet the challenge of this new building. So those with a legacy of generosity have a burden 
for the things of God. Then secondly, those with the legacy of generosity are willing to sacrifice that which most would keep for themselves. Are willing to sacrifice that which most would keep for themselves. David wanted to build the temple because he, like us, saw a need. Yet in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3, it says, But God said to David, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Because David had been and seen the blood of many battles on his hands, David could not build the temple. God commended David for wanting to build it, for having the burden to build it. But he told him that his son Solomon would indeed be the builder of the temple. David might not be able to build the temple, but he could certainly prepare for the building of the temple. He began his preparation by purchasing the land that the temple was to be built on. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, chapter 21, I'm sorry, verses 22 through 25. David said to Arana, Let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. And Arana said to David, Take it. Let my Lord the King do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this to you. But King David replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. So David paid Arana 600 shekels of gold for the site. I did a little calculation this week. 600 shekels of gold would be the equivalent of $285,000 in our day. So David pays him $285,000 in order to purchase the site on which the temple would one day be built. But let's be honest. What would most of us have done? Most of us probably wouldn't have done what David did. Most of us would have probably said, Thank you, Arana. I appreciate that. God will bless you for it. That's probably what we'd have said. God will bless you for it, Arana. It ain't going to cost me nothing, though. Not one thin dime is it going to cost me. But notice what David said. David said, I will not offer the Lord a sacrifice that costs me nothing. If it costs us nothing, it's not a sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice is when you give what you really wanted to keep for yourself. It's when you give what you really wanted to keep for yourself. In other words, sacrifices cost us something. They cost us something. Story is told of a chicken and a pig that were walking down an old country road one day, and they happened upon a sign. And the sign was a, a sign that was trying to raise funds. It was a fundraising sign for a, a cow that had broken its leg, and the break was so bad the cow had to have surgery to put it back in the right condition again. And as they looked at that sign together, finally the chicken said to the pig, I just got an idea. I know what we can do. We can have a bacon and egg breakfast and we can raise the money to have the surgery for the cow's leg. And the pig looked at the cow, the pig looked at the chicken and said, Well, a bacon and egg breakfast, all that is is a contribution for you, but a bacon breakfast would be total sacrifice for me. What about sacrifice for us? What about sacrifice for us? What does God want us to give? Or perhaps we need to ask it this way What does God want us to forego? in order to sacrifice for him. David sacrificed to buy the property that would be the footprint of the temple of God. And today, of course, we've mentioned at noon, you're going to have an opportunity to walk around that, uh, that area that's going to be our new student young adult building and pray about that building today. We ask that as we walk around today that you might indeed pray not only that we can build the building, but that God might use that building as a place where others are brought 
to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Those with the legacy of generosity are willing to sacrifice that which most would keep. Then thirdly, those with the legacy of generosity attempt great things for God. They attempt great things for God. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 1 says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord. It was the English Baptist missionary William Carey who was the first missionary to India and who's been called the father of modern missions. He's the one who coined the expression, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Listen, if we're not attempting to do something great for God, then we're just wasting His time and ours. But dear friend, when we attempt something great for God, it brings honor to God. It brings glory to His name. There's an intriguing custom among the native peoples of the New Hebrides Islands. Missionaries report that as a part of the worship of their pagan gods, the natives roast and eat a pig and then give the pig's tail to their god. In other words, they're giving to their god that which is almost worthless to them. And missionaries have nicknamed that pigtail giving. Is our giving pigtail giving? Or are we going to give something great to God? Are we going to give God something as great as He is? David was not guilty of pigtail giving. He did not give in a paltry way. He had a great God and he wanted to do something great for God. He believed that God's house ought to be the nicest house in town. And he knew that he and his people needed to provide a palatial structure. Yes, the word is palace. God should have a palace. The nicest house in town. And why not? He is, after all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, isn't He? And if He is, doesn't He deserve a palace fit for a king? Of course He does. Of course He does. So those with a legacy of generosity attempt great things for God. And then fourthly, those with a legacy of generosity give to God that which they could have kept for themselves. Give to God that which they could have kept for themselves. Giving is always about the choice between what you will keep and what you'll give. Giving is always that way. What am I going to keep for myself? What am I going to give away? And I suggest to you that for some of us, we're, we're thinking about how am I going to give to this campaign. I'm, I'm pretty much pressed out, stretched out. There's a purpose, or perhaps I should say there's a creditor to whom I owe every dime that I make. So how am I going to do any giving when I owe every dime that I make? Well, we're a pretty affluent bunch, you know. We Americans. We got stuff we don't even need. We got stuff we ain't used in years. We got stuff we don't even know we have. And maybe you could liquidate some of that stuff. Now, it's got to be valuable to bring any money. Because, you know, the truth is, most of the yard sales I've had, I've had to end up just giving stuff away. Nobody wanted it anyway. You know, and so, you know, unless you've got good stuff, I wouldn't waste my time on that. But sometimes we have things that we can liquidate, and when we do that, of course, we can make some money that we might not otherwise have. There are all kinds of ways of making money. Talk about that, uh, that our youth could give us some lessons in that in just a little while. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 2 says, With all my resources I have provided for the temple of God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. David was saying, I'm going to give 
what I can find to God for the building of this temple. So a legacy of generosity. Of course, those with that legacy both sacrifice and risk by giving to God that which they could have kept for themselves. Then fifthly, those with a legacy of generosity go over and above ordinary giving to extraordinary giving. Go over and above ordinary giving to extraordinary giving. First Chronicles chapter 29 verses 3 through 5b says, Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for the holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, or gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. In verse 3, David speaks about giving his personal treasures. The word in Hebrew is segula. The segula was the personal treasure box that belonged to the king. Of course, the king owned everything in the land, and yet... In order for eastern kings in biblical kingdoms to remember that God actually owned it all and they were just stewards, just like we are, they kept for themselves a treasure box that would contain precious metals, stones, and rare objects. The treasure box function is the personal security for that king in times of political hardship, social unrest, or natural disasters. It gave the king something to fall back on when times got hard. When David spoke of giving his segulae to the work of God, he was willing to risk his personal future security in order to meet a present spiritual need. David is talking about giving this beyond his regular giving. Many members of our church, of course, give to support the budget of our church. Robert and Crystal were talking in the video a little while ago about tithing. God tells us that we need to tithe. We need to give 10% of our income to the Lord. And I hope you're doing that. And I certainly need to say this, that please don't take your regular budget giving to our church, your tithe, and earmark it for our new building. If you do that, we may get a chance to build the building, but we won't be able to keep it open. So please understand that you, you can't give your regular giving to the building campaign. You have to do like David did. He went over and above. He went over and above his regular giving. If we do so, it will be faith giving. If we do so, it will be sacrificial giving. If we do so, it will be extraordinary giving. But I have every confidence in the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills that He will be faithful if we as His people are faithful. And I believe that you're going to be faithful to God. I believe that you're going to do what God tells you to do. I believe you're going to walk in faith. Maybe you don't know how you're going to be able to raise the money that God's leading you to commit. But I believe that you're going to walk in faith and say to God, if you're telling me to do it, you must know of a way I don't. So I'll be obedient and I'll walk with you. Dear friend, if we do that, we can build this building. And far beyond that, if we do that, we can become far better people than we've ever been before. David was willing to take a risk. Oftentimes God asks us to make a selfless sacrifice in order to grow His kingdom. At other times, God asks us to take reasonable risk in order to see His kingdom grow. So those with a legacy of generosity... Go over and above ordinary giving to extraordinary giving. And then lastly, number six, those with a legacy of generosity inspire others to give generously. Those with a legacy of generosity inspire others to give generously. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 5c through 9, the scripture says this to us. Beginning with verse 5c. Now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, 
The commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehael the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Through David's example of sacrificial giving, both the leaders and the people of Israel gave willingly and rejoiced greatly. David left a legacy because the way that he gave inspired others to give as well. We need folks to do some inspirational giving here at First Baptist Barnesville. We need folks to do some inspirational giving. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that Jason Till gave each of our middle and high school students $10 bills and then gave them a month, four weeks, to invest them in a way that would bless this campaign. The students came back to Jason, gave him over $5,000 for that offering. Our young adults did likewise and gave basically $5,000 as well. And if you take a look at the poster here, uh, the po- come by and take a look at this on your way out. I was really intrigued to see what, some of the ways that our students made money. One fellow said, I took $10, put gasoline in my truck, and I hauled off junk for people. And that's how we made some money for the campaign. Somebody else said they made a $425 cupcake. Am I reading that right, Jason? No, no, they made cupcakes for $425. All right? But they, they, they just took whatever they had, whatever skills they had, whatever time they had, and they used that to invest that money and bless and grow that money. And God can do the same thing with us. You see, the certain truth is this. Our young adults, our, our, particularly our students, may not have much money, but they got an awful lot of heart. Amen? They got an awful lot of heart. Now, I'm saying to those of us who have some funding, some money, we may not be rich, but we got some money, are we going to have the heart? Are we going to have the heart? They don't have the money, but they got the heart. They did the best they could. We got the money. Are we going to have the heart? That's what it's really all about. And not to be left out, our children put together an envelope board. It's in the CFLC, the gym right now, on which they place 200 envelopes representing giving amounts from $1 to $200. Then they placed in each of those envelopes a thank you that was either handwritten or hand-drawn picture from our children. So far, the kids have raised over $2,000 doing that. And believe it or not, that envelope board has the potential of raising $20,000 if every envelope is taken and paid for I even understand that some of our folks in our church are venturing down new avenues for revenue. Jeff Manley recently acquired his ordination to the ministry to perform weddings. Of course, looking at that picture of weddings done in a jiffy by Jeffy, I think the only place, I think the only place those weddings will be legal is at the Rock, Georgia. There you go, Jeff. In addition to all that, we've uh, held over four pace setter meetings from the beginning of December all the way through this past Thursday evening, which we've asked folks to come by and listen to us and think about and pray about what God would have them do. To date, we have $456,000 of cash on hand in our building fund. $456,000 of cash on hand in our building fund. That's almost one quarter of the amount that we will need to build this new building. Folks, we're on the way. But we need your help. We can't do it without you. 
So next Sunday, March 31st, is the culmination day of this entire generation's following campaign. That is the day we're going to ask you to make a commitment to this campaign. You've got the commitment card hopefully in front of you. And on that commitment card, of course, it talks about what God wants you to do. You can see that. Either weekly or monthly or yearly, you've got an idea of how much to put there and then what that would be over a three-year total. We're going to ask you to pray about that because that's the card we're going to want you to give us back next Sunday morning as we total those commitments and see what God has done among us. The next slide gives you that giving potential chart. And we typically are going to have our eye fall on a certain place, either weekly or for most of us probably monthly, because we, we, we judge our finances and our budget by the month. And so your, your eye is going to fall somewhere on that chart in terms of what you could do monthly. And you can see what that would be over a three-year campaign. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about moving up one step or maybe even two steps higher than where your eye naturally falls. Because your, your eye naturally falls in an area where you know you can do it without God's help. Let's see what you can do with God's help. Let's see what you can do with some faith. With some sacrifice. I'm just the same way. My eye's going to fall down there about where I think I can do this on my own. Not going to borrow any money. Not going to make any big changes. But what I want us to do is think about sacrifice. I want us to think about making some changes and doing the very best we can for the Lord, for He did His best for us. There were once two young men working their way through Leland Stanford University in California. Their funds got desperately low, and the idea came to them to arrange for Paderewski, the great concert pianist, to perform a recital, and that they would be able to sell tickets to that recital and make some money to cover their room and board and tuition that way. The great pianist manager asked for a guarantee of $2,000 from the students. The students, undaunted, proceeded to stage the concert. They worked hard only to find that at the end of the concert, all they had was $1,600. So after the concert, they went to the great pianist and they gave him the $1,600 accompanied with a promissory note for the other $400, explaining that they would earn that amount as soon as possible. No, said Paderewski, that won't do. Tearing up the note, uh, the promissory note, he returned all $1,600 to them. And he said, now, take out of this $1,600 all of your expenses and then keep 10% of what's left over for each of you and then bring me the rest. The, real, the years rolled by, years of destiny and fortune. Paderewski became the premier of Poland. World War I came on and Paderewski was striving to feed the starving thousands of his beloved Poles. There was only one man in all the world who could help him. And so he wrote that one man and he asked for food help for Poland, for food rations. And thereafter there came thousands of tons of food to feed the starving Polish people. Paderewski afterward journeyed to Paris to thank Herbert Hoover who is the head of the United States Food Administration, had sent Paderewski thousands of pounds of food. Hoover looked at Mr. Paderewski and said, That's all right, sir. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student in college and I was in big trouble myself. He was one of those two young men who had contracted with Paderewski to do that concert. 
in writing to the Corinthian church about financially helping the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that had been devastated by several successive years of famine. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8.14 these words, At this present time your abundance will supply their need, so that one day their abundance may also supply your need. See, dear friend, it's not just nations that need help from each other. It's also generations that need help from each other. Generations that came before us, former generations that provided for us these wonderful facilities that we enjoy here at First Baptist Church in Barnesville. It's time for us to provide facilities for the generations following. Remembering, of course, that God has provided something for all of us through the cross of Christ that none of us could have provided for ourselves. That's our salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us now to do those things and make those decisions that would please you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.